0: All right, everybody, uh, welcome back to another special episode of Chase and Birdies. Um, my partner's basically sitting out in, in some type of aviary. What's up, dude?
1: I'm sitting in an open field uh-huh. in a plastic chair smoking a cigar. Mm. And, uh, you know, after this past weekend that we just had, well, two weekends ago, I guess you could say, uh, we didn't chase enough birdies, so I'm out here chasing them barehanded.
0: There you go. I like the attitude, man. The positivity.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Uh-huh. I mean, yeah. can't give up.
0: So what else is going on, man? Every- Talk to me.
1: It's U.S. Open week, bud.
0: Yeah. I tell you, man. It, I, it's sad because we already have two under the belt after this one's over. You know what I mean? No. Mm-hmm. Three. I'm mm-hmm. sorry. Three under the belt after this one's over.
1: Three majors. Mm. Um, gone with the wind. But the U.S. Open is going to be exciting. Out of Tory Pines this year, you know our guest today actually is really excited because it's a home event for him. Aaron Dale from Titleist Golf he mm-hmm. tells some really cool stories. But before we get into that,
2: who are you thinking for
1: the U.S. Open, Bud?
0: Oh man, I really, I really would like to see JT try to win it. I know he's kind of struggled of late, but it'd be nice. I mean, it'd be nice to see Xander win it just because you know it's his hometown. But I don't. I don't think I'm going to be riding the uh, Kepco or Shambo train anytime soon. Too much drama, man. It's like two two girls yeah. fighting.
3: Well,
1: it's it's that new money that they're putting out for marketing from the social media PGA Tour. I get it. It's great. It's fun. A Little annoying that those two individuals, because um, again, I'm not a fan of either. Yeah. But, hey, it's like like DeChambeau kicking people out because they were calling Brooksy
3: at Memorial.
0: Yeah, I mean that's that's dumb, you know. It, it's all, it is. But you know, at the same time, the fans want to stir the pot a little bit, and you know, with that new tour or the the uh, I guess what whatever you called it that um, money money pool thing, there's one guy that moves the needle and will still move the needle despite not even making it into this year's U.S. Open, and and you know who that is?
1: Big Dick Rick,
0: Mister Ricky Fowler,
1: Big Dick Rick. Big Dick Rick. <laughs> see, Anyways, you'd be thrown yeah,
0: out. I, you'd be thrown out, yeah, bud.
1: I would. And you know what? I I feel bad for the guy because he's just struggling, man. And, but you know what? What I really like to see is that after he missed it by one shot, there was a photo of him signing autographs in the dark for kids. And and again, he realizes that golf's just a small part of his life. It is. I mean, these kids make who he is. It was good to see. I'm actually looking right now. You got Kepka at plus one thousand. Mm. Roms at plus eleven fifty. D plus thirteen hundred. Feast plus thirteen hundred. DJ plus sixteen hundred.
0: Oh. Wow. That's good value.
1: Yeah, you go all over the way to the bottom and you can get Andy Sullivan for plus ten thousand. Mm. But mm. <sighs> I'm, I'm with know. you, man. I, I kind of like the uh, Patrick Cantley or yeah. Justin Thomas pick. Coming um, off a nice win, Cantley is strong. It's in his home state of California. Played at UCLA. Well, don't be surprised, boys. But you know what? We we got a big week.
0: We got a big week, bud. We got
1: we got we have a big announcement for our, for our fans out there. Mm. You've never looked so good last weekend, bud. It's a a pizza I remember guests. I mean, you were, Oh yeah. you looked really sharp in that holderness and born,
4: Uh you know,
1: solid, the the solid white and the solid Carolina blue, you look dapper Uh and it fits you good.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's a good tight fit, man. It's got that athletic, athletic feel and
1: it's still looking classy, which is hard for you.
0: Right. Right. Well, you know me, I'm a little, I'm a little edgier. I'm a little more laid back, but yeah, that's, that's the thing about it. It's, it's, you know, it's really good.
1: And when this podcast drops, we're going to be flying back from Bettinardi Golf.
0: Yeah, we got good session going on with them.
1: They're going to be a partner of uh, of of chasing birdies, which we're really excited about. I have used Artie Golf putters for years. Uh, I've used the same putter for the last three years, which is a shocker because I change putters like I change my underwear, mm. which is awesome. So we're really excited for these two partners to be a part of the Chase and Birdie family. But for today's episode, man, Aaron Dill, yeah, what a guy! And I know that you loved it because your your wedge work, some of the best that I've seen. I know that I could have used some wedges here at the Diamondback mm. Guest place.
0: <laughs> well, no, he's definitely uh, a very very skilled. Uh, individual with respect to his job and chasing birdies out there having a good time doing it. And, you know, I think all y'all listeners out there will enjoy this episode. Sorry for a little bit of static there at the end of the show, picking up some background noise, but overall another great episode. So why don't we just get this thing kicked off? As you all know by now, chasing birdies is proud to be partners with Holderness and born. Check them out online at hbgolf.com. Holderness and Bourne makes fabulous pieces to help you look good on the course, even if your game is not up to par. Check out their new arrivals now for this golf season. Also, head on over to chasinbirdies.com to get some custom chasing birdie gear from Holderness and Bourne. We'll continue to drop these pieces through every season. That's chasinbirdies.com and Holderness and Born at hbgolf.com. Alright guys. Chasing birdies, we're back and we have a guest today, unlike any other we ever had. Um, I know
2: you're super, super stoked.
0: Yeah, I mean, when you go on to the uh, TitleistVoki.com website and and you just see who is Aaron Dill, the line beneath it says, "The man behind every Vokey wedge on tour." Aaron Dill, Aaron, what's going on, my man?
5: Hey, thank you guys for having me.
0: Oh, dude, thanks. Thank you for carving out some time with your busy schedule and joining us.
5: No worries,
2: man. This is great. So Aaron, how did this all start? I mean, where did you, how did you get into the golf business? Again, you've been here for, for a long time with Titleist. So tell us a little bit about how it got, got into the Titleist world.
5: Yeah. So I think like, like anybody who plays this great game, you know, we all get uh, we all get a taste of it from somebody in our families, our dad, grand, you know, our grandfather. Who knows? Maybe maybe it's just a family friend. But you know, we all kind of get started really young, and we get this we get this bug. And you know, you hit one good shot, and you're hooked. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's kind of the way it worked for me. My dad exposed me to the game when I was real young, and for me, it was just it was a fun way for us to hang. And it grew into a you know, sort of a love affair with the
3: game of golf, and then uh, into a
5: into a livelihood or a way to support my family. And so. I left high school and I went to a golf school in San Diego. Mm -hmm. And when I finished there, I kind of wanted to expose myself to as many different things as I could, you know, so I was in the retail side, the teaching side, the club pro side. And I did all these different things because I didn't really know what I wanted to be or what part of the golf industry I wanted to be part of. I always loved equipment and I always loved working with people and trying to help people play better. And that, you know, that's always been sort of the, the driving force of, of me in this industry is just trying to help people enjoy the game more. So when I was doing all that stuff, I got a call from a gentleman named Steve Pelasek, who's our president of Titles Clubs. And at the time, he called me up and he said, hey, we have this really interesting job that we want to tell you about. And so I went down for an interview. And I had no idea at the time that he was going to call. It was, it was actually I was referred by somebody else. So I got the call, went down and met with him. And he said, we've got this, this uh, program called Fitting Works." And it's a little tour van that you take up and down the West coast of California. You'll hit Southern Oregon. You'll hit a little bit of Arizona and, and Nevada and you guys will fit at some of these great clubs and you'll give them the tour experience. And yes. I thought, this is so cool. I was a young guy. I was single. And it was sort of that, that entry into, in in my opinion, the the greatest golf company in the world. So yeah, I did that for about two and a half years. And as I was doing that, I was, hanging out with Bob Vokey because Bob was so great. He was so kind to me and he, and he let me you know, work with his team on the floor at the tour department. And he taught me how to polish and he taught me what to look for. And, and that sort of really started this, this love for wedges. You know, I loved all equipment, but, but getting to hang out with, with a legend like Bob Vokey and, and get to pull from him and um, absor- absorb his passion and his drive to, to help people really inspired me to do the things that I'm doing today. So, you know, it's sort of in a, in a, quick sort of way. That's how I got started with titles.
2: Yeah. Uh, having Bob Vokey as your mentor hmm. in the golf world is as big as it gets. Yeah. I, I mean, the guy's an absolute legend.
5: You couldn't hope for a better guy. I mean, if, if you know him like I do, when I first met Bob, you know, he was, he was more like a mythical creature. He was like a unicorn, you know, <laughs> <laughs> like, he didn't really exist. It was just a name on a, on a golf club. But when you meet the guy and you begin to realize that he is, just like you and me, he's, he's kind and humble and appreciative. And he comes from, um, you know, from, from a small town in Canada and, and, you know, he just wants to help people. Mm. And it's, uh, it's really, it's a really wonderful way to be mentored in this industry and, 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 you know, sort of get your start.
0: Yeah. I mean, there's no one else that you would rather be, be next to or ha- have it in that regard, uh, on your side. So, I mean, that's such a, a, I guess, propelling, um partnership so to speak and in that it really geared you up kind of gave you the tools necessary to to elevate your personal career i guess to the next level and be involved in in wedge making on now a worldwide tour level basis i mean that's that's pretty badass man
5: it's pretty cool and i started this job in 2005 and Hmm. i've been doing it for a long time so yeah, to to like you said, to be able to have a, a great mentor, work for an incredible company like like the Cushnet company, mm-hmm. and sort of pull from that whole thing and, and build build off of it. I mean, it's been a, a dream come true for me.
0: You know, for the listeners out there, um, I was getting fitted a couple of years ago from Titleist, and I talked to Aaron on the phone about my wedges. I'm I'm pretty particular about my wedges, and I've played Vokey my my whole life. But uh, just talking with you on the phone about, hey, these are the types of shots I hit. This is the ball flight I'm used to seeing. This is the kind of reaction I want from the ball. It's like you were there with me.
2: He fit you right over the phone. Right it's, over the phone. It's incredible.
0: And and when I got <laughs> when I got out there and I was explaining that to Joey Sawitz, I think that's how you say his last name, that, hey, my wedges were taken care of because I talked to Aaron. I think at one point he didn't really believe me, but I said, no, really. And this is what he's recommended. And when we went down that path of hitting those wedges, dude, it was spot freaking on. I mean, I have the setup, the same setup that you and I spoke about two years. So, I mean, it's the, you you know your shit, man. So, um, I love it. I love it.
5: Well, thank you. You know, it's you do you do something long enough, you you eventually begin to uh, to get pretty good at it. And uh, you know, being exposed to the PJ Tour, the European Tour, the LPGA campings tour and then players like yourself at the M level, you know, you, you begin to sort of see those trends and those habits. And then you can, uh, you can, you can diagnose almost like a doctor would, mm-hmm. um, issues and, and strengths and weaknesses, and you can choose the right models based on those things.
2: Well, and that's the thing, whenever you and I had a conversation, I'm not good enough to realize a lot of the things that you were talking about, but the number one thing that I told you when I opened my 60 degree, I want it flat. I want no space between uh, leading edge to ground. I basically told you if we're at Oakmont Country Club and I'm in front of one green, I want to be able to be in the fairway, lay it flat, and hit it hit a sixty there. That's my go to. And you got mm-hmm. me into the L grind, which it is so good. I love that thing.
5: Well, good. I'm glad. You made it- it's funny, like, it's easy to say, hey, you know, I want less bounce and here's the lowest bounce thing we have, but it's all about finding that perfect balance because we, we never want to try and make a shot that we want to hit better. We always want to look at some of the issues and mistakes and, and address those things first because if you have better misses and mistakes, you're going to strengthen the rest of your game just based on confidence mm-hmm. alone. So, you know, it's all about finding that perfect balance. Now
2: move it to the PGA Tour. Are the Are the guys... Do they already know what bounces they want, or is it based on the course conditions? Because for the people that don't know, Aaron comes into every tour event Monday through Wednesday, and he is basically all hands on deck for the tour players and their needs. So what does a tour player do whenever he gets on site on Monday?
0: But let me interject. Before you go on and ex- answer that, explain what bounce is, because I, I know there's a lot of listeners out there that really don't understand bounce. So when Jonathan says bounce – you know, elaborate a little bit on that.
5: Yeah, so I'll give you the complicated answer first. The complicated answer is, uh, if you take a protractor, you measure the sole angle and you, you, you measure the width and the depth of the sole and this gives you uh, uh, the bounce or the uh, part of the wedge that, that hits the ground and sort of pushes and propels you out based on
3: conditions in your technique. So
5: that's the more complicated way to say it, but I like to try and say that bounce is really more of this to call it sort of an insurance policy. When you're playing great golf, you you can do anything you want, but it's those times when the conditions get softer, you play into grainy conditions like Bermuda or sand-based soils, or maybe you're just you're, you're not a very accomplished golfer at the time. You know, the bounce is there to help you. It's there to save you, protect you, make the difficult shots just a little bit easier. Um, but, of course, you know, like Bob used to say, and he's told me this for years, and we've, we've sort of changed the slogan, bounce is your friend. Uh, it's really about finding the right bounce. So finding the right bounce is your friend, and that's where some time practicing or working with a PGA fitter uh, or working with somebody like myself who can diagnose based on what you do, your strengths and weaknesses, and the courses you play on. You know that that bounce is going to be there to um, to not only give you some forgiveness but also some versatility when you need it. So again, you know, it's about finding the right combination for you.
0: So getting back to Jonathan's question, a lot of the the tour guys, I mean, are they kind of already knowing what they want, or that they still rely on you to kind of, hey, look, what should we do here?
5: Yeah, well, you know, th- for, with all due respect, some of the guys think they know. Um, fortunately for, for me, it gives me a job. I, I get to go out there and I get to help these guys. So I would say the majority of, of, of the players I get to work with, they, they will call me and say, hey, what do you, what do you think? Before I can diagnose properly. And give them the right club i need to go out and do a little homework for myself so every monday i go up to the golf course i will ask several questions to several several players i'll say what what are you experiencing out there what are the bunkers like Um, i'll look at the grass conditions i'll look at the type of grass i'll look at where we are in the country and see how much you know either clay or compact soil there is versus sand-based soils and i'll look at the the weather patterns i'll look at a whole bunch of different things and that'll give me a better idea of what I think will be the stronger models that will be, you know, sort of
3: working in the rotation. And then,
5: and then I'll tell the guys, Hey, I'll I'll go, listen, before we can do anything, I need you to go out and play this golf course, at least play nine holes, play with what you brought. And then when you're finished, give me a call. And then we'll, we'll sort of circle back and we'll say, this is what I experienced. These are the types of things that I'm seeing. What do you, what do you think? And most of the time guys will say, Hey, you know what? I think what I brought is pretty good. Maybe I just need some fresh grooves. But when you start moving from conditions like, uh, Riviera on the West coast Mm. over to PGA national in West Palm beach, Florida. Those are massive shifts, not only in the soil types, but the, the grass styles. So, you know, Mm -hmm. you go from a, you know, a a rye grasses or these, these, uh, daintier more delicate grasses on the West coast to these hardier Bermuda style grasses that grow in humidity and, and high temperatures. And so you're having to change out these different bounces based on those things. So doing a little homework before I start making these, educated guesses is, is, is got to happen first. And then once those guys have a chance to play nine holes, then we can sort of circle back and say, okay, based on what you told me and what we're seeing on the golf course, this is what I think you'll need. And usually nine out of 10 times we, we get it right.
2: Yeah. So you're basically helping the guys chase some birdies out there, which is, which is awesome. Now, do you have a lot of tour players that's, I guess, switch, I know Ryan asked this, but in a different way, do they switch a lot of their, bounces or grinds depending how they're playing too if they're if they're playing really well are they going to get a little more aggressive on the bounce um i know that i I listened to you on a other podcast where adam scott's basically used the same bounce on a 60 degree for the last eight years and you finally got him switched over
5: yeah so i'll give you a couple of examples of how guys might do it right so it seems to me over the years that the the, the players that are higher on the PJ Tour world ranking list or the, or the official world golf ranking list, those guys tend to play with the same 14 clubs um, every single week, regardless of the conditions, unless you have this huge shift, right? So, going from, say, um, you know, Florida to maybe an open championship, uh, you know, like a St. Andrews style of venue. You know, those are huge shifts in conditions. Or in Augusta National, those are, those are major changes. So that's where we have, to, we have to, you know, give these guys something that better fits those styles of golf course. And So guys like Justin Thomas, Jordan Spieth, Adam Scott, those guys will play the same 14 clubs. They might experiment, but it takes a lot for them to make that decision. Like, hey, I want to I try a couple different things. Something really has to be off, um, not only in their technique or maybe their confidence, but in the golf course they're playing. But then you have this other group of players that they're looking for something. Maybe it's a a slight advantage, a shot here, a shot there. Maybe it's just a little bit of confidence here and there. Some guys just love to try stuff. They love just to tinker with equipment. You know, that's the beauty about the tour van and and the the reps that work on the tour is we're there to help these guys try and build the best 14 clubs they can that'll help them be successful. But, you know, for me on my side, it's really about um, also learning from the strengths of the product that those guys are testing so i can take that information home and we can better design and use that information uh in our in our future development
0: so those guys that you mentioned jt jordan and adam i mean they they pretty much it's the same 14 no matter what i mean you mentioned riviera that Kikuyu grass or kekeyu whatever they call it there i mean i played there in november and i think that 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 rough is tough
5: it's yeah it's, it's it's a weird grass
0: yeah so you know you would think in different conditions they would be more open to modifying the setup but at the same time they know their clubs better than anyone else so they know what they have to do to kind of get that feel going so uh, it's really interesting though mm-hmm. you know I, I was in uh, Scottsdale and uh, I I met Jordan in the gym and I, I told him I said we got a mutual friend in Aaron Dill you know and he, he obviously had high praises for you but uh, I, I didn't really get into too many details but he was a nice kid actually I think I texted you you did of text us.
5: me. I remember that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
0: yeah, that was funny. You
5: know, Jordan. You know, Jordan's a great guy, and um, he's clearly a very, very talented golfer. And he he's a very, very talented. Probably one of the best wedge players that I get to work with on a, on a regular basis. The guy just gets it. You know, he knows exactly mm-hmm. how to use his tools. Which, to your point, is exactly why he doesn't want to change. He knows his four wedges. And for me to throw something else in his bag is going to completely change his feel, which will change his confidence, and and he'll be searching for the bottom. So, you know, for those guys who play those same 14, especially in my little spot, those guys tend to have mastered their their short game tools.
0: Yep.
2: So let me ask you a question, because I I obviously follow you on Instagram, and, um, you know, I see some guys— that are not playing the the sm8s some are playing the sm7s and i think uh kepka is one of them he had an sm7 i think at the pga championship what's that reasoning it, they're just comfortable with that wedge they don't want the current model it's a little bit different look what is that reasoning
5: i think that there's some players that just they they either they're superstitious or they're just really really comfortable with, with what they have you know like i'll give you an example like uh, like, have you guys ever found a great tree wood
4: <laughs> I like mean... Finding
5: a, when you find a really good tree wood yeah. I mean, we've got some guys on the tour that have been playing the same tree wood forever. Yeah. And they just love it. They Same thing with a putter. You know, you look at Jordan Spies putter. It's this mm-hmm. browned-out 009 carbon, and it's gorgeous, but you can tell he's had it forever. Mm-hmm. When, you, when you love something, you try and keep it around as long as you can. Uh, it certainly is one of the more challenging parts of my job is is trying to convince a tour player who's in love with his four wedges that it's time to make an upgrade. Uh, we would never bring out something new that wasn't better than the previous generation. But for some guys, they just they just feel really comfortable, and I have to respect that. Mm-hmm. And so I, so I allow them a little bit more time to get into some newer stuff. You know, and would, I'll use I'll use uh, Justin Thomas as an example. His 46 and 52 are SM7s. And he's had them in the bag for nearly two years and hmm. he loves them and he loves them because they spin less so he's somewhat of a high spin player and he just, he loves the way they, they react on the ground, but it's 56 and it's 60. He replaces a lot and those are sm eight. Hmm.
2: That's the thing too, that you have such a good relationship with us, with, with those guys. That's a lot of it that people don't understand behind the scenes is that you talk to these guys a lot, and uh, the relationship you have to have a good relationship because you're going to see them every single week. Well, and I got to trust him. Yeah, I mean,
5: you you do. You know, Bob Bob Bokey told me when I first started this job, he goes, "Listen, there's going to be you're going to have a lot of heartache the first five years at least." You know, when he told me to stay patient, I thought that was you know three to six months. I'm still I still get a lot of heartache. I don't mm-hmm. I don't like losing players. I don't like seeing wedges not go in the right way. Um, and to your point, you know, these guys, they have to trust.
3: And even the highest level of golf, these guys need somebody they can rely on.
5: And you see these tour players, they're building these camps of players. They've, they're these camps of people. They've got trainers and nutritionists and golf coaches
3: agents. And they have all
5: these people that they have to surround themselves with that give them the best ability to be the best player they can be. Um, and that, that also relies on us as their, their equipment specialists to mm-hmm. – to, to earn their trust and to help them build the best team that working on actually thinking. That get.
2: So let's just say that, and I'm just going to use a player, for example, just Justin Thomas comes to you, says, I want this, this done to the wedge. Do you go back to Bob and see for his recommendations or is it kind of your, are all hands on deck? It's your, your go.
3: Usually, it's usually it's just me. okay. Um, you know,
5: Bob. Bob has been so gracious and giving to me over the years, and just teaching me. He's, I mean, he shared. Uh, he shared so many things with me over the years that have made me the, the the wedge rep that I am today. And so I don't have to go to him nearly as much as I used to. There are times where I get lost with a player, and I and I need a, uh, you know, maybe somebody else's perspective. Mm-hmm. And and Bob is that person I go to to lean on because he has so much experience and he's so knowledgeable. And sometimes I go to him and I say. Bob, I'm lost. I've got this player. We I just can't seem to get it right. I don't know what to do. What do you think? And he'll ask me a series of questions and we'll we'll come up with a solution together. Mm-hmm. And and so I lean on him for, for a lot of those things, but to be to be completely honest, you know, Bob is family to me. Mm-hmm. Um and so when when we talk, you know, now more than ever it's it's really more about personal stuff, you know, and so I lean on him more as a uh as a as a mentor and a family member than I do as a mm-hmm. as an a as a as a coworker.
0: Awesome. Getting back briefly to what Jonathan mentioned, and I didn't realize this, but does Kepka play Titleist wedges
4: yeah, uh,
5: he does yeah he plays he plays two s m eight 52 and fifty six and he has a uh, a custom sixty that we've been making for him since he started on the uh, the european tour and and he's been in that one ever since. If you talk about somebody who fell in love with a wedge and doesn't want to let it go, he's one of those guys and and you see him hit it, and you realize why he just he, he gets it mm.
0: Mm-hmm. Now, do- during the um, the PGA Championship, with the wind conditions, and I, I don't really know the. I guess that's a Bermuda style grass there at Kiowa. Um, yes, Pat Palum. Yeah. So, was there a lot of during you know during the practice rounds? I mean, were these guys coming to you with potential audibles, or was it all pretty much you know just standard procedure? Hey, we're, this is what we're using. This is our our wedge, and we're not changing anything.
5: Yeah, I think for the most part. Guys played. They, as we, as I, as I say, they danced with the girl they brought. Mm -hmm. Uh, So they, so they, they usually play the same ones. They will replace a lob ledge because when you get to a PGA venue like Kiowa, you begin to realize that these greens on this coastal part of the country are very firm. You're also on path Palum, which is cut super tight. So having spin is really important. Number one, but number two, having a bounce that fits those
3: firmer, tighter conditions really helps. That sounds kind of funny at the conference
5: because you'd expect it to perform a lot like your standard uh, Bermuda-style grass with a lot of grain, but it didn't. It didn't really have a, a very grainy feel to it. Um, mm. They had cut it so tight that they were getting a lot of runoffs, as you guys saw. You hit it into a green, it would it would roll off the back and into the, you know, that first cut. These guys were really more interested in making sure they had enough teeth and and the right amount of bounce, which is which is typically on the lower side. A lot of sixty tees. 60 L's, low bounce Ks, things like that. These guys were, were getting quite a few of those. So uh, the other part of it is they were so busy trying to find the right combination under the wind. They were taking the wedge out to add in a two iron. So there were different, different directions they were going. It wasn't so much a wedge driven week as it was more of a, um, I got to find something that gets under the wind, but I also have to find a wedge that spins and allows me to slip under the ball easier on these firm
0: conditions. Mm -hmm. Wow. To have that kind of problem. (laughs) <laughs> you know what I mean? That's crazy. On average for the amateur golfer, how often should they change their wedges to get fresh grooves? Yeah. Or is that just, you know, something they need to kind of police themselves?
5: No, that's a great question. Um I think a lot of players like you know, you go to you go to these private country clubs, you go to the bag room and you realize, Oh my gosh, this guy's had a wedge for five years. <laughs> and when you when you give a player who's who's had the same sixty for five years a new wedge it's mind-blowingly different. It's lower. It's lower launching. It carries further, and it spins, and it's it's pretty cool. And I usually tell players, I go, listen, if you are using a four wedge setup, 46, 50, 54, 58, we'll use that as an example. You can use one 46 a year, one to maybe two 50s a year, two to three sand wedges, and three to four lob wedges. That's what we do. What we do on the PGA Tour. But when you start getting the higher lofted stuff, the strike is more oblique. So making sure you have teeth that can work with that golf ball, it mm-hmm. makes a big difference. So we usually tell guys on the PJ Tour, you know, we we probably need to replace that 56 or 54 and 60 uh, much more than you think. But I usually walk by walk by tour players and say, hey, we haven't replaced that 60 in two months. Let's take a look at it. I'll ask them a series of questions, and and we'll we'll make that adjustment. So that's part of the job too, is making sure these guys have
3: fresh groups. And I always tell players um, at the AM level or the club level.
5: You, know, you should sort of be approaching it the same way, so if you're playing 75 plus rounds a year, be aware that you're probably going to need to replace that sand and lob wedge a little more often get new than wedges just today once every you know two to three years.
2: Well, well, Aaron, Tylist doesn't know it, but you just sold, sold a few uh few <laughs> yeah. sets of wedges here. Ryan's on Vokey looking at wedges
0: yeah I need, a, I need <laughs> to send my specs down to um, Chris or B. Higgins or Tash and tell him order me two sets of four wedges so I'm going to have eight wedges coming. I love it. Uh
2: So with the U.S. Open coming up, and it's at Torrey Pines this year, do you think that you're going to be pretty busy? Or, I mean, the fact that you're kind of coming from a a major, what will be three weeks apart, do you think the guys will be dialed in? And you have to – what's it going to be like that week?
5: I'm fortunate that it's a home game. I live in North San Diego County, so we'll have not only that to look forward to, but we'll also have our – Tour facility right there where we can we can go in there and get things done. But you know, U.S. Open is one of the most challenging places and you know the tournaments that these guys will will face. Not just because of the stress of it being a major, but the severity of the property and how they set it up. And if you've ever been to Torrey Pines, it's it's all you can handle. It's a big golf course. Uh, they grow the rough out really thick. They narrow the fairways. The greens are usually fast and firm, and, and they just do it a, a tremendous job of making it a very difficult difficult tournament i imagine it's going to be very very busy Um, i'm already starting some early prep work just making sure that i get together with these guys on the phone or in person and say hey we've got a big tournament coming up let's let's get Mm -hmm. ahead of it and make sure we're prepared and so i'll start getting that stuff done now i know we're probably going to be using a little bit less bounce I know guys are going to be wanting some, some fresh grooves, you know, that stuff never really changes. It's, I, I wish I could say that it did and things mm-hmm. slowed down, but you know, the reality of the, the wedge business, is that uh, it's it's never ending. And for me, I've got so many guys that I work with that I always have something to do. And so I'm trying to prepare for a major, like a U.S. Open.
3: Mm-hmm.
5: Um, I'm already starting that now. I just want to make sure these guys are comfortable and ready to go so they can go be.
2: On the PGA tour, um, everybody knows the courses are perfectly manicured. All of that. Does the sand change a lot on the courses, the bunkers?
5: All the time, yeah. All the time, yeah. You know, you, you can go from course to course. The, the sands change all the time. Mm-hmm. You can go from this beautiful Augusta-like sand, which is fluffy and, and, and hot, you know, very glaring when you when you get inside of it, mm. to a, a more grainy, coarse, heavy sand like mm-hmm. you would see at, uh, you know, at a Kiowa or at, at Innisbrook. Copperhead you know, style sand. They have a couple of different stands there. So, you know, it just depends. And those are those those, are those questions that I have to ask myself when I get to these venues is, what kind of sand are we dealing with? Because I know if it's going to be challenging sand, that's going to be one of the things that I'm going to be facing as a wedge builder is how do I diagnose and build the right things based on those conditions? So, you know, uh, it, wherever we go, we gotta we got to take note of that and make sure that we have that information in our back pocket so we can diagnose right.
0: Hey, I got one for you. So, and that's going back to the sand talk. I mean, Mickelson hit that bunker shot on Sunday out of the sand and had to land it landed soft, little check and rolled in. I mean, what would a Vokey wedge have looked like in his hands? It
5: would, it would look it would have looked even better. Yeah. It would have, it would have it would have gone in the hole, come out and then gone back in again. It would have gone in twice. I don't know. Now, you know, I got to hand it to, uh, to to Phil. I mean, he's He's a tremendously gifted wedge player. Um, you know, I didn't have the, I didn't have the pleasure of working with him because when I came came on, he was, uh, you know, he wasn't with us. But you know, watching him and spending some time in Europe, you, you see how talented he is, um, and to see him do it in his fifties, is just incredible. Yeah, it's
3: unbelievable.
5: <laughs> I mean, what do you, what do you say? You got you got you got a very, uh, you got a very talented man in his fifties winning another major. It's pretty cool. Well,
2: yeah, and back to the name of our podcast, Chase and Birdies. You know. In reality, you are chasing birdies every single day because you're trying to make a better uh, product for your tour players, for your country club golfers. Not only are you taking care of the tour players, you're also doing product development as well uh, on the behind the scenes.
5: The same thing goes with you guys. You know, when when I work with players like yourselves, I always ask those questions: where where can we get better? What are we doing mm-hmm. right? What are we more importantly? What are we doing wrong? You know that information of how we're messing up and how we're making mistakes, whether it be in the soles, the profiles, the grooves. If there's something you guys are seeing. You know that information really is everything to to us, and, and we certainly take that into the office. And Bob and I will
3: use that to our advantage in how we make
5: better stuff.
0: Well, I'll tell you what. I'll be uh, I'll be giving my feedback on my boy here to my right after we take down two member guests. I'll, I'll give you the honest feedback on his wedge game. Mm-hmm. <laughs> tell Please you. Please do. Uh-huh.
2: Or lacking.
0: Yeah. <laughs> We're going to transition this thing into our last segment of the show, Aaron, which is called okay. the Tap In segment. And Jonathan will take it over.
2: Yeah. Tap In segments brought to you by 44 Concierge. So basically, I'm just going to say a few words. You tell me what comes to mind.
5: Ooh, okay. I'll do my best.
2: All right. Favorite golf moment?
5: Ooh. Favorite golf moment? Watching my 13 year old son make cars.
2: That's awesome. Yeah, and you have – th- So now we're all three sons involved in golf. They enjoy going?
5: Yes, they love golf. And, and I'm so proud because I, I look back on my life and I, I think of, you know, my younger years playing the game and I loved it so
3: much. And watching that same passion
5: develop in my kids is really, really cool for me.
2: That's awesome, yeah. All right, best tournament atmosphere?
5: Boy, that's tough. I'll give you a couple different versions. Uh, I'm going to give you the, the, the wildest one is the uh, Waste Management. Mm. And TPC
3: Scottsdale, that one is incredible. But uh, Augusta National is really tough to beat. The Masters, uh, if you've never been or seen it, it is
2: just
5: classic. One of the most. I mean, it's one of the most memorable, mind-blowing uh, experiences in the game of golf. I mean, it is most perfect, beautiful golf course with everything thought up. I mean, it really is spectacular.
3: Um,
5: and I remember the first one I went through, I couldn't believe what I was seeing. And every time I yeah. go back, I'm Away
3: and how
0: wonderful the job to do. Mm. Yeah, it's it's a special special place. There's All right, I don't job. want you
2: to pick too many sides on this one. Easiest player to fit? Uh, Robert
3: Strub.
2: Robert Strub. He
3: says, What do I need? And I make it. He goes,
0: Great. See you. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, it's real easy. Holy and shit.
2: for you, what what is your favorite grind?
5: Ooh. That's a good question. I'm going to say right now it's probably the T grind because it's been so successful for us. I just love its versatility around the greens. Uh, it's it's a great combination of you want low bounce, but you also want a little bit when you're square. So we we've been doing a bunch of those. So let me ask
2: you real quick. I'm using the L grind. What what's the difference between the T and the L grind? I know there's they're both four degrees of bounce. So
5: yeah. So the the question I would ask you is. How uh, first of all, what what are your golf course conditions like, um, and are you the type of player that likes to open up the face, and slide under the ball really easily? Yes. Players who say, yeah, sometimes I slide under the ball. I like to play the face fine. I would I would typically tell those guys to stick with the L. But for those players who really like to open up that face and get under the ball with the, the least amount of resistance, that T grind is certainly the better of the two options because that trailing edge angle is is about three or four degrees less. So it definitely makes it easier to get underneath that ball. Wow. Well, uh,
0: only we the think... things you would know.
2: Yeah. I mean, there you go, people. Learn how to hit your wedges. <laughs> yeah. Job security, guys. That's yeah. it, man. Yeah. Well, we cannot thank you enough for your, your valuable time uh, jumping on with Chase and Birdie Boys. Uh, we truly appreciate it. And keep up the great work out there on tour.
5: Guys, it's my pleasure. Thank you so much for having me.
0: Hey, man, thank you, Aaron. And uh, enjoy the rest of your week and have a great weekend.
5: I will do.
3: Thank you. Thanks so much. Man,
0: what a what a really good guy, huh?
1: He's the best. He is so nice. And mm-hmm. uh, I think the more important thing is that he truly loves what he does. He does. And those tour players, some of the tour players, and oh, most of them don't get paid to use that product that he's providing to them. I mean, it truly speaks about the relationships he Yes. he uh, developed
0: mm-hmm it's nice to see that passion off someone you know I think that's the one of the things about life when you get into a career a lot of people just feel like they got to go in and punch in punch out and that takes away from quality of life and then when you realize you love doing something and you can do it uh, it makes life that much better and I think um, Aaron kind of exhibits that with respect to to what he loves and what he does it's it's great man so mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, and I know, you know, your perspective, I mean, you know, you're 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 pretty much in the wedge market often because trying to do different shots and, you know, blade balls over to green.
3: But everybody, right, but, anyway, do but, you
1: not wanna like <laughs> shoot, I mean I get it, but I putt from fifty yards from the green I put in. Okay, what do you want?
0: <laughs> oh, so, shoot, man.
1: But you know what? That that rolls us right into our next episode. Mm. What a, uh, fun one. Uh, a, a A banter session with the boys, the Pete Dye member get. Yeah. It was a lot of fun. It was stressful. I get pe Everybody thinks golf is so much fun. You know what? I go in there. I get my teeth kicked in.
3: Yeah. Uh, yeah.
1: I'd rather be working, making some money, but i there.
0: Yeah. You're grinding out. Fun, all right. Yeah. yeah you're yeah. You're losing money, really. And yeah exactly.
1: And uh, it was a tough finish for the boys. Oh, man, but we'll get into that a little bit yeah. later and when we've dropped the episode. Guys, thank you and ladies, thank you so much for listening. Keep telling your friends, follow us at Jason underscore birdies. Also, go get bash a like on the Facebook page, Chase and Birdies. He's always on Facebook now. <laughs> He's such... liking it and everything else. No so get...
0: <laughs> Oh, shoot. Oh, you're funny, man. All right,
1: guys. Go Chase this hey Birdie this
0: week. Yeah, thanks so much for listening, and thank you again to Simpler Media uh, for putting this production together and all our sponsors, and we'll look, uh, look forward to connecting with you all next week on the 24th for... Another special episode of Chasing Birdies. Have a good one.